Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, uh, now retired, but had transitioned to be a, a contributing editor at Publishers Weekly. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right, uh, today, listeners, I'm absolutely thrilled. We're going to be talking the creators of a remarkable graphic adaptation of a 1934 play written by really a legendary author, critic, uh, I believe he even wrote a book on soccer, uh, uh, a journalist, C.L.R. James. Uh, the book is called Toussaint L'Ouverture, The Story of the Only Successful Slave Revolt in History published by Verso Books and created by the team of Nick Watts and Sakina Karimji. I hope I said that right. I meant to check with you before that. Um, uh, look, yeah, that's thank fine. you both for being on More to Come. Thank you for having us. We're very pleased to, to be here. Uh, well, I, I think what I said, I, 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 I meant to call the book a, a worthy companion to Black Jacobins. CLR James is really a classic history of the Haitian Revolution. Um, uh, it, but this comics adaptation, uh, it, it just blew me out of the water. Uh, it, I consider it, <laughs> let me go on for a bit. I consider it a masterwork of comics nonfiction and storytelling. Uh, with, it has an amazing, you both have an amazing knack to use comics Comics' most extraordinary features, this combination of dynamic, entertaining storytelling with serious historical documentation uh, to really create uh, this amazing window into this incredible event in, in world history. So uh, that's my uh, gushing and uh, introduction uh, of you to our audience. Uh, so... Uh, I'd love to have you describe the book you've just created. Well, um, yes. Yeah, so, so the, as you've said, the book is an adaptation of a play. Um, uh, so we, we, you know, we use that text and it was written, um, before, um, CLI James wrote the Black Jacobins. So it was the first piece of writing really that he, he did about this subject and actually at the time prior to this most of the history really had been written by France or by the colonial powers so it was really hugely significant um piece of work to be undertaken for a you know a CLO James for a Trinidadian so from a Caribbean writer's kind of point of view it was hugely significant and um it was, it's only been performed once, um, in London with Paul Robeson, the, ah. you know, singer and actor sure. playing to St. Louverture. Yeah. Um, this was what, that 19, was, uh, 1930s? 36. 36. Yeah. yeah. And apparently it was one of Paul Robeson's kind of, uh, um, you know, life dreams and ambitions was to play Tucson. Um, so it was like a really significant production and it was the first time, um, on the British stage that you had, um, black leading actors in a play written by a black playwright. Mm -hmm. So it actually has a really important part in British theatre history as well. And, um, so it was, it was staged that one time in London and the script was subsequently lost. Uh -huh. Um, so it was lost for about 70 years. 
Um, and um, <laughs> the um, it was it was found um, in 2005 by historian Christian Hugsberg um, and published for the first time in 2013. Um, yeah, and may, as I you may, I, may I ask where was it found? Was it in a library, an archive somewhere? It was in an archive in the in Hull. Yeah, the University of Hull Library, yeah. like in a in a box, an archive material. Mm. So the the historian was researching his PhD at the time and just going through papers. And it was the play was known about, like there was programs yeah. of it and other sort of you know historical references. People knew it existed, but they didn't have. And I think there was a scene of it that people had and things, but not the whole. Yeah, and this like legendary play. Missing. missing play and then there was another play by C.L.R. James that he wrote in the 60s called The Black Jacobins which um so often there was a big confusion about which play was what and you know there was a lot of confusion but what Christian Hosberg managed to do was I'd go oh right I found this play and identify it as um, the 30s play as the 30s That's the scholar's play. name what was the academic's name his name's Christian Hogsberg. Mm-hmm. And he went on to the when that book was published, he edited it and wrote like forward and yeah, things he, like the, that. The original uh, play, were published in 2013 by Duke University Press, is is a really phenomenal piece of work in itself. There's loads of uh, background information about the play and explanation and of the politics and you know yeah. the production of it. Yeah, it's really photos well. and things yeah. like that. It's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, as you say, it is a sort of a, a literary companion piece to, to the Black Jacobins. And I think that that play is the last piece of like James's canon to be published, the last major work of James's that was outstanding. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. And James so is, of course, a, a, a remarkable uh, figure. And I, I don't know if this was passed on to you. I mean, I went to Howard University in the 1970s and I met James very briefly because uh, I was a student okay. photographer at the time. And so I have a photo of him in the lobby of Crampton Auditorium and, um, which I went into my own, you know, archive. I'm using air quotes here and I dug through <laughs> some of my student work and I found this. So I'm, I'm trying to get these negatives printed. And in any event, <laughs> I'm going to stop tooting my own horn. Well, yeah. But would you care? <laughs> would you care to say anything about James? Um, you know, I think. You know, James is, is amazing and also highly complicated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Reading James for me as a non-academic is... You, you mean reading the work, you don't mean him as an individual. No, no, no. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's complicated stuff for me as a non-academic person. It's, 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 you know, he was obviously a, an amazing thinker and a really, you know, proper polymath. Yes. You know, he yeah. had so many um strings to his bow. I mean, to be able to write, you know, really in-depth historical, um, you know, historical work, whilst also being able to write, you know, such a strong literary works, yeah. mm-hmm. I think is really amazing. And, um, you know, he was a cricket correspondent as well for years. It's some um, cricket that he wrote a book yeah. on, and he wrote, um, you know, for a British newspaper for years as a cricket correspondent. So he also just had this sort of amazing breadth of things that mm, yes. that he did mm. as well and yeah like a really important sort of yeah. thinker and like I said the first person really from you know from the Caribbean and from writing from the kind of point of view of being supportive of the 
slave revolution, mm. the first person really to write about this subject. So it's sort of hugely significant, really, his his work. Yeah. So I'm going to jump in here a second because, you know, I'd love to know more about the both of you. You're a couple, obviously. What, what, what can, we you, are, can yes. you tell our listeners <laughs> something about yourselves and your, uh, I mean, um, do you do comics? Um, we're not, done comics not, in the past. Nick, you're, you're no. the illustrator or do you both work on the visuals? Well, I, I'm, I, well, we both work on the visuals, but I, I am the, the person who does the actual drawing. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, I've worked for many years as an illustrator and, um, you know, I have a lifelong interest in comics. I used to create comics as, as a, as a much younger man in my twenties, uh, but it was sort of, at the very early days of things like Photoshop and stuff like that. So we were literally making comics on the kitchen table with a knife and um, <laughs> coffee fluid and pens, tippets. Like the the old-fashioned one, yeah, sure. Well, it was very old-fashioned, but what was quite, I, I think it's an excellent education, personally, mm. in in not taking shortcuts sure. and <laughs> doing mm. it properly. Um, but that might feel a little bit controversial. Um, but, um, and so. No my, digital, I mean, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you know, if he's drawn by hands and I do use Photoshop and uh, there is some elements to the process which use a computer, but really. But only in the laying out, all of Nick's artwork is hand drawn. Yeah. And yeah. personally, I feel like. I'm, I'm in this book. Um, we'll see <laughs> what the future brings. Um, but, um, yeah, so for me, like, I, I'd sort of gone away from comics for many, many years. Um, but at the same time, I'd used comic strips in a lot of my other work. I've done a lot of work for, for charities and stuff like that. Educational, educational things. And often Nick would kind of weave short comic strips into the work. Yeah. But this, this is his first time to work on a full length yeah. graphic novel. And such a you know, phenomenal subject. You, know, you couldn't really find a better subject. Uh, sure. And 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 Sakina, what what about your background? My my background and training is actually all in theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is my first my first book, you know, in any sense. Um, and I've always worked like as a set and costume designer and behind the scenes in production. Um, I work as like a drafts person and things like that as well, planning scenery and stage plans and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I'm still doing that work alongside working with Nick on mm-hmm. the graphic novels. Um, and I've also, I've been sort of politically active since my teens and I've always wanted to find a way to sort of combine my sort of art with political activism. And obviously for a long time, you know, I hope that might be through theatre and it never really happened. And for me, it's been such an amazing project to, to work with, with Nick. You know, we came up with the idea together really and work on this project where we've been able to, yeah, just create kind of politically inspiring, inspirational kind of art project for me is it's you know it's such a great opportunity to bring those different bits of my life together. For sure. Um, and comics? Did you wait, did, did you read comics growing up, or did, uh, did did you read American comics at all? Or uh, just curious. I'm... Um, my background is more in European comics, so I yeah. was really a big fan of things like Asterix. Sure. Um, which, um, 
have some quite questionable politics, let's say. Um, well, to be sure, yeah. Uh, we, 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 that's a <laughs> but, podcast for another day, but yes. <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, very good on colonialism. Very good on colonialism. Yeah, um, yes, good study and, of it. And white supremacy, perhaps, yeah. Yeah, and white supremacy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, 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 you know, so I really love Asterix, and I love the work of Raymond Briggs, who did, like, Fungus the Bogeyman, and I don't know if you mm-hmm. know about Raymond Briggs. Um and um, I was a big fan of things like 2000 AD. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I was never really interested in superheroes, any of that. Not I'm not interested at all. Um, and then obviously that moment in sort of the late 80s where you had Watchmen and you had uh, Mouse and you had the British Dark Invasion Knight. for comics. Yeah, you know, that that amazing time. Um, sure. And a lot of that stuff is like very very. Um, influential on me and then as um as the years have gone on i've got more into like things like akira and you know so i'm now like a real avid reader of comics where i wasn't aware of a three-year-old child and then i've not managed to read anything (laughs) um but yeah so basically i you know but i'm a a lover of visual storytelling that's what inspires me you know i think that's for me i mean i've never been like a comic fan in quite the same way as Nick you know I mean I love people like Raymond Briggs growing up um I don't, I don't know if he's well known in yeah, and in yeah States, he's not well known but he's the he's snowman is probably the most famous and um things like that as a child and and then you know I have read um you know as a younger adult and things you know graphic novels and things I remember a friend buying me Palestine in was the early 2000s and that was quite you know mm-hmm. I thought that was you know amazing. It is amazing and I think for me as Nick said it's that combination of visuals and storytelling which you know like I said originally you know all my work was in theatre but I think that there's huge overlaps because of that mm-hmm. combination of those two different aspects of art form I think and and it was always for me you know that visual side of theatre that kind of I suppose most inspired me I think there is so the more we've worked on this project, the more we've realised about the sort of overlaps between theatre and graphic novels. You know, it's not something you would naturally think of, but as we've worked on it, there has been sort of theatre theory. Things that I've brought with me that have influenced the way that we've told the story, worked and yeah. things. I suppose is. Well, th- these are some of the things I, I want to ask you about. I mean, I would also like to add, you know, your book arrives at a really important time in the North American comics market where it's so much broader now than, you know, as you were talking yeah. about, the, the superhero comics that I grew up with that turned me into mm-hmm. the comics nut that I am today. But we're, it's, <laughs> it's a different landscape in North America now. Uh, yeah. but, I, but, but I am very curious to, to jump into the book a little bit now because, um, I, 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 what, what you're saying about how theater is, uh, you know, its influence on your work. This is, uh, this is a thoroughly engrossing, entertaining work. I mean, obviously it started as a play. Uh, you've got theater and uh, set designer working with an illustrator here. Um, I mean, wh- when did you decide to take this on? This is more than a notion to put this <laughs> in. To put this work, uh, to adapt this work, uh, on the one hand, I mean, were you worried about falling short? Um, you didn't. Uh, no, that's relief. <laughs> how long, yeah, how long have you been, when did you start working on it? When did you complete it? And, and just when did the, this notion that, well, I won't call it a notion. When did you take on this quest? <laughs> uh, well, 
Okay, so we we I had I I re I reread the Black Jack events in 2012 for I don't know third or fourth time, um, and um, I think when I'd originally read the Black Jack events in 2001, I was like, why doesn't anyone know about this story? Hmm. Like, this is the most phenomenal story. Why doesn't anyone know about it? And in my circle, no one knew about it. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know what this. Well, how it is in the States, but obviously it's this unknown story. Well, I went um, to Howard University. I knew about it. <laughs> I don't know if you're um, familiar with Howard University here in the States. It's an HBCU, yeah. and you know, I graduated a hundred years ago, but, but there you go. Um, and so, so yeah, no one knew about this, this story. Um, and then I had this like slightly bonkers idea of, um, adapting the Black Jacobins into a graphic novel. And then obviously I was talking about Sakina with Sakina. Sakina was going like, this is a great idea. Haitian revolution needs to be talked about, but a history book into a graphic novel, however great that history book is going to be quite a stretch. So then we started, you know, looking into it. I was like, you need a narrative, you need dialogue, you need characters. Mm. And I said, basically we need like a play, you know, has anyone written a play about this? Mm. And then, yeah, we, we and came... it was just at the moment that, this play that had been lost for 70 years was about to be republished. So it was just an amazing kind of synchronicity and fortuitousness. But also I would say is that when you ask about, you know, like, I guess what kind of, I think Nick has just um, throughout this whole project, just had this amazing kind of determination and sort of vision about the project. <laughs> I don't think left to me, I would have, uh, you know, necessarily take it, you know, like you say, taken it on, but Nick's just, um, yeah, just always been so determined and had such a sort of vision that I think that's been such a driving force behind it. But also, as Nick said, you know, we really wanted there's, there's, you know, there's lots of academic books around this, but there's very underrepresented in popular culture. Mm. And, that's obviously a big way about how ideas and history can reach a much wider audience. And, you know, graphic novels are such a brilliant sort of vehicle to bring stories to, to a wider audience in that way, you know, that you can really bring the a depth of political understanding also alongside a kind of emotional and narrative kind of engagement that makes it more accessible and and we just I suppose we just had such a strong belief in the project and in the idea mm-hmm. that we just that we never really questioned that you we didn't really consider what you were taking on you had so many no maybe we didn't <laughs> I think it was what we kept this you know our our approach was more how do we get this to happen? You know, how do we find a publisher? How do we, you know, get the rights? How do we get this done? And we never really questioned oh, whether we could. I feel, I feel All useful questions. I, yeah, I, I felt, I did feel a great responsibility to being. I think there was a We felt a great responsibility to the, to, to the people who fought in this revolution, um, to tell their story and not to, to mis- misrepresent them in any way. And, to tell the story from the bottom up as much as we could. Yes. Um, and I think there was, uh, I felt a great responsibility to, to CLR James as a writer who was obviously, you know, not involved other than through his writing, um, to, to do this but, well, you know. It's also reflected in the fact that it's essentially taken us 10 years, really, yeah. because we haven't rushed this project. You know, I mean, some of that time is because, you know, it takes time to, 
to find publishers to get things arranged to sort you know some of that is the logistics but also it is that it we you know we have not rushed this project you know we've done a huge amount of of work and background research and also just drawing and redrawing and redrawing and redrawing scenes till we were absolutely confident yeah, some of the scenes. Of what we were communicating. Yeah, what, what, 300 pages? What, what, what's, what's the... <laughs> so, I think it's 272 pages. Okay. Yes, you didn't um, see the stick at all. Um, no, and it, we... And, 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 at one stage, it was slightly longer. We had to make cuts. Yeah. It's it, it, better for it, actually. But it is, it is verbatim from the script. From the, from the, so the, yeah. from the language we see, the dialogue, this is from the play. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's an exact, yeah, every word in this is the exact verbatim telling, you know. Mm. I sort of, I think to us, I suppose, particularly for me, coming from a theatre background, I kind of see this book as almost like a staging of the play, but just in... A graphic novel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to get into that. We really want to get into your, your character design. But um, for for our audience, for our listeners, Tell us, tell us something about Toussaint L'Ouverture, which I want to say, it is not, this book is not a biography of Toussaint L'Ouverture, but no. uh, I think there's a CLR James quote, something to the effect that uh, L'Ouverture didn't choose the revolution, the revolution chose him. Yeah, it's funny. This book really illustrates that. It's, so, it's they, the Negro slaves, are the most important characters in the play. Toussaint did not make the revolt. It was the revolt that made Toussaint. So, and yeah. we've chosen to put that right at the beginning of the book because yes, for us yeah. that was That's so important. But it's, yeah. it's not a biography, yes. you know. It is, the although Tucson is hugely important, but it's it's the story of the of the revolution which required that you know the mass of ordinary people to to initiate and involve in and. But also could, required. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Tucson? Yes, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, well, so. Tucson was one of the key leaders in the revolution, and um, before his ultimate kind of capture, he'd by the French, he'd risen um, to being the main, most sort of prominent leader and kind of military commander um, and political leader. He was a former leader. slave, of course, and right, he he yeah. he could read and and write. Yeah, yeah. So he was born into into slavery on Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, and unusually for the time, as you say, he was educated by his slave owners and could write, read and write. Um, and he was kind of advent- identified by his slave owners, really, as kind of a man of talent and was given kind of more senior sort of jobs. He was a coachman. He looked after horses. He never worked as a field slave. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, actually, he was freed um, by his um, owners. But his family his wife and children weren't freed and also the position of a free black man in a slave society is not freedom <laughs> as as we understand it you know it's a very insecure precarious position and there's a sort of permanent threat that you could be re-enslaved hanging mm. hanging over your head um yeah yeah i, I think yeah. um yeah, so, and who were some of his cohorts? I mean, you there. So we 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 meet them earlier in the book. Uh, Dessaline. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, Toussaint comes to the revolution actually quite late, and he comes mm-hmm. in quite a, a sort of a junior position. You know, he's obviously as, yeah. as we've discussed, he could read and write, which was something that you know was totally unheard of almost amongst the slaves, mm-hmm. um, with the enslaved. Um, 
So, you know, Toussaint had these amazing skills. He was also a physician. He also knew how to do work with horses, stuff like that. But, um, and, you know, but he was surrounded by, you know, John Dap Dessalines, uh, Jean Francois, uh, uh, Dutty Bookman, various other mm-hmm. really important, powerful leaders of the, of the revolution. But I think what, where Toussaint. I think some of those leaders were significant early on mm. and some of them, and, and ceased to be important and some of them became important leaders like Toussaint later yeah. on as the revolution yeah. shifted really. And I think Toussaint kind of evolved into being a leader, yeah. a leader. Because of his political clarity, really. Like he could see, he could see the weaknesses in the leadership of, of the, of the, of the start of the revolt on, on his side. Um, and also, you know, as time went on, um, you know, he was an amazing diplomat. He was able to negotiate with the whites, but at the same time, he was able to manipulate the whites and uh, the, you know, the, 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 the horrendous racism of the whites kind of really undermined their position because they never took uh, the 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 power of the enslaved army seriously they never took the power of the um the leadership seriously so that allowed for mm. the the leadership to to be stepping over them almost um so you know he could he could read the political moment really well um and i think what's important about Toussaint is this is that you know the, the the movement from below is absolutely fundamental, but as we've said, the leadership is really fundamental. And you know, two hundred years, you know, I think the two hundred and twentieth anniversary of the end of the Haitian Revolution is coming up in mm. January. Um, you know, why are we now not talking about another slave revolt that went so far but didn't achieve a, a, a full transformation of society it's because of people like Toussaint basically because of Toussaint take it from a revolt into a full blown revolution yeah. really that yeah. clarity yeah. of leadership that clarity of leadership and understanding the machinations <laughs> and the double crossing and the double dealing of, of the colonialists and, and could you add just a brief bit this takes place against a background and in fact has really important implications on the French Revolution the geopolitical yes. conflicts of 18th century slaveholding nations is plays out throughout this entire book. And yeah. Louverture is at the center of it all. Yeah, yeah, amazingly. I mean, yeah, the book, the, the book and the revolution, um, it starts, um, sort of two years after the start of the French Revolution. And the French Revolution itself kind of puts, plunges Haiti into a kind of political upheaval and crisis. There's different kind of, not involving the slaves initially, but different bodies are trying to vying for, for power and, and so like on. 1790, 1791. So 1789 is the start of the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. And then two years later at 1791, we begin the uprising if in I, Haiti. If I can just interject. Um, what is important to understand about um, Saint-Domingue, as it was known then, or Haiti mm. as it is known now, it was the it was the most profitable colony on the world, yes. on the planet at the time. Um, the the economy of Haiti was bigger than that of the US. Mm. You know, it was a it was an absolute money spinner. <laughs> it really was. 
on the flip side of that was that the the enslaved people were the most brutalized the most exploited yeah you know, horrifically tortured if i may yeah, quote the, the play 30 the, the san domingo 30,000 whites 30,000 mulattoes mixed race of various mm-hmm. kinds and a half a million black enslaved people Yes. So, so the, yeah. the ins- and, and it was it, it was much more of an industrialized kind of modern economy than I think we often imagine slavery mm. to be as well. You know, these huge um and it's something CLI James writes about, you know, the sort of modernity of Haiti particularly, you have these huge kind of, you know, plantations and then huge sort of sugar processing plants, plants and you know, hugely industrialized. Um yeah, their, their clothes were imported. Their food was imported. You know, this is, this is a, a fully industrial. I mean, yeah, much more modern industrialized society. And, and, and more, 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 more modern than many places in Europe at the time. And also you've got these massive workforces who are able to use this to, to organize. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, but once again, as, as we get into the book, uh, what's a, a startling is, is, uh, Toussaint Louverture's ability to negotiate with such skill between Britain, France, <laughs> Spain, and in the beginning early American, uh, states. So, uh, I, I, but you know what? I really want us to get into your, your, the, the design of this book and your characters. So let's jump. I apologize for jumping around like this. I, it's uh, it's great to have you to talk with the character. You have a map of the characters, and there's an extensive character list. Uh, wow! How do how you 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 draw the characters with the with, with you know? There's a there's a comic edge to your work, even as it's very serious. So what can you tell us about designing these characters? Um, <laughs> There's, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite interesting, and it, it the character design sort of evolved over quite a long period of time. And I think at one stage we're perhaps more we'll comic, yeah. and as the book sort of evolved, became less caricatured in, in some ways. Although there's obviously strong stylized as, aspects, but the actual designs, I think. Yeah, it, it, it was a complicated process, you know. And you've got, you know, you've got real characters. You've got um, characters that uh, are fictional that James has made up for dramatic reasons. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yes, I didn't. And know. then you've also got um, some characters who are amalgamations of three different people. Ah. Um, so you've got quite a, a complex web there of different characters. Um, and obviously, we did a lot of research, but you know, I really think you have to be quite careful with historical sources. Um, you know, our our our, our heroes in this book are on the right side of history, but they're, they're, they're on the wrong side of the dominant narrative of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so any kind of visual representation of them is going to be, you have to take with a pinch of salt. Um, uh, you know, portraits at the time are, um, um, uh, a political form of pro- propaganda. Pro- political propaganda, absolutely. I think a lot of the visual depictions of of enslaved people and of slavery are really sort of steeped in the racism of of who was drawing them yeah. because the enslaved people didn't have much opportunity to <laughs> to pick themselves, no, you know. So enough, it's a really difficult thing. A lot of this to 
to research. Yeah. So, so and, how did you still, source an image of, of Toussaint? Okay, so Toussaint, for example, um, uh, there are no, all the images you see of Toussaint are, are done after his death. There is no visual mm-hmm. representation of him at the time. There's no portrait. I, I believe there was a portrait painted, but it was destroyed. Um, so again, and also somebody who's on the right side of history, but the wrong side of the history of the time. Um, so basically Toussaint, I went back to a visual um, description. description of Toussaint, which mm-hmm. itself may have been political and then we just basically made him up from there because we were like we have our own Tucson we're going to do that I'm not going to rely on potentially racist tropes from the end of the uh, 19th century 18th century and um you know there are a few characters that are drawn from kind of portraiture like Napoleon you can't really not depict Napoleon as everybody would recognise Napoleon. Also, I think the British General Maitland was taken quite heavily from a portrait of him. I'm interested in a particular character and complete villain in this story. Monsieur Boulet. <laughs> Boulet now, yes. he, of course, he's a horrific character, uh, but he perfectly personifies the the behaviour, the, the awfulness of the of the colonial the, the white colonials. Uh, yeah. Now, now you you bring comics to bear on him. I mean, I mean he's a he's essentially a supervillain. Uh, <laughs> if I may, you borrow from superhero comics. Tell us about. No, I think you're right. Yeah. He's a supervillain. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, as I was reading the book, some comments uh, about him that I I've heard, I have heard some people say, "Oh, it's it's over the top." Of course. What, what, what can you tell us about this character? Because he is over the top in his, his, his villainy, his brutality. I think he, you know, I mean, he, he's, so, so Boulay, um, people haven't read the book. He's the, he's a, you know, a slave owner, a plantation owner, but he's also the, um, what's his title of representative well, he, of the, the colonial, of the colonial assembly. Yeah. yeah, he's like the leader of the colonial assembly. So, and <coughs> whereas lots of the characters kind of make progressions and transitions and things through the story, he is just entrenched, deeply, deeply entrenched in his, um, his, his ideology his, of the his, slave system. His racism, really, yeah. and his absolute belief in slavery. And I think. And, you know, for for a while, he actually, although he's French, he for a while, he aligns himself with the British when when France, at kind of the high point of the French Revolution, under pressure from Haiti, abolishes slavery. Yes. He actually joins with the British to try and overthrow the French in order to maintain, really, the slave system. I mean, there's kind of no way of, and, and to, for us, you know, as visual storytellers, he was just a complete treat in a lot of ways because he 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 enables us really to kind of he carries with him I suppose all the kind of the horrors of what slavery is and what it represents and sort of embodies it you know it sort of personifies it and um, one of the first characters we meet in the book yes yeah 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 yeah. that sets the tone for his impact because at the, you know, at the start of that book, before the uprising, he, him and his type completely dominate, you know, Saint-Domingue mm. as it was then. 
and you know yeah he sets the tone really for the start of the book and um allows you to then contrast what comes afterwards when he his sort of power and privilege is is usurped and yet he doesn't he he never makes a compromise he never sort of shifts and he it was you know it it visually uh like um I don't know if fun's the right word during slavery, but, you know, it's sort of a yeah. great thing to be able to draw. Well, there's a couple of things I would say about Boulay is, is that on the one hand, having done quite a lot of research into what the slave society was like in, um, you know, it was, it was a horrific place, but at the same time, it was a place that a lot of um, white French people could go to with probably not a lot of talent, make a lot of money and have quite a good time. Yeah. Um, I don't think that he is uh, over. I, I think we should we could have done him more, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he could have been more extreme in who he was because that society in was. Terms of his actions, yeah, yeah. His, that society was, was, so was, was so brutal. Was he a real character extreme. or was he a composite um, character? Well, is based on a real person. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much uh, actual. Uh, how far? I think there's probably quite a lot of artistic license. I think there's quite well. a lot of artistic I think you create some of these characters because of, you know, there isn't like hugely detailed histor, you know, historical records of every individual character involved and stuff. I think C.L. James had to sort of amalgamate people in order to create kind yeah. of a clear characters and sort of use a. It's not. It's not making up history, but it's a kind of artistic license. To create a narrative, really. Yeah. And the other, the other thing I'd say about our treatment of Boulay as a character is in some points we go quite stylized with Boulay. Yeah. And it's one of the things that you can do in comics, but you also can do in theatre. It's quite a lot of stylized work, whereas something like film is much more realistic, generally. Um, and I think it's one of the things that we kind of... We've really enjoyed, I suppose, putting in like, yeah, moments in this where we depart from kind of a more realistic narrative. And his sort of most evil depictions, I suppose, are when you go into those more stylized, yeah. you know, he kind of becomes a monster and stuff. And he becomes like a whirlwind barbaric. Yeah. He gets barbarians a bad name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, the third, <laughs> in the third scene, where you 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 meet you know one of the like leaders of the revolt at that time is one of the his former slaves yeah and the fear he still has even after yeah. you know they've got their freedom and the revolt has started the fear that person has over him gives you a sense of how horrific this man had been in reality to these people and you know what's interesting in 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 CLI James's play and therefore subsequently in our book there's actually very little um telling of what it was like in the slave society prior to the revolution really we get like glimpses mm-hmm. and some of it's told more indirectly you know it's not there's no kind of gratuitous telling of of kind of the horrors of you know it's not a book about the horrors of slavery and i think it it's a book about an uprising against it, but we get glimpses of that. And I think the fear of that formerly enslaved person mm. of his former slave owner gives you that, 
those is part of those glimpses you get into that and how was, horrific that society course, was without his, the details, you know. And of course, his his vitriol, his white supremacist colonial vitriol, is directed at anyone who challenges the institution of slavery, including even a white man that suggests mulattoes should have equal rights. Yeah. And early well, on. <laughs> And so that, there's that atrocity is, committed early on against his fellow colonials for significant. Yeah. So I, I, I don't want to steal my pleasure. I don't know. Are there, is there such thing as a spoiler in a, in a work of <laughs> historical? So. I don't think there's many. Yeah. Yes, yes. But yes, a man, <laughs> you know, a man's hung on the spot essentially. Yeah. If, if yeah. We're yeah. introduced to this character. But I think and all of that is rooted in real history. That's you know, that yeah. was that was going on. You know, that's the upheaval that kind of happened after the French Revolution. Yeah, um, you know, mixed race people at the time in Haiti held this kind of middle role. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them are very, very rich. A lot of them owned slaves. A lot of them were slaves themselves. So they lived in a very contradictory position in society. Um, but there was... Um, you could be wealthy and slave-earning, but have no political yeah, rights. No political rights. So there was there was a big movement by a guy called uh, Vincent Ogay, who was uh, a mixed race, I think he was a lawyer, and a, and a small rebellion that was brutally put down of these people, of the of the mulattoes, who was called at the time, or mixed race people, as mm. we would say now, saying, we want to keep slavery, but we want our, you know, we want our rights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and our, that's our what right, that yeah. scene is, is talking about, is, is that, and, you know, and whereas for someone like Bulle, it's like, you know, if you give them an inch, Yes. Then, then the whole, the whole gates of hell will open up on us. And actually it turns out the whole gates of hell do turn, uh, turn up on them, but. But I think also <laughs> he's, he's such an ideologically committed racist. Yeah. You know, if you've got, you know, sort of one drop of black blood, as they would have thought at the time, you're an inferior human being and don't deserve part of our society or any political rights. It's that, it's that real. But then characters like this still exist in politics today, you Absolutely. know. This and is, of course, this is... one of the great ironies as we go through the narrative is that these rebel slaves really don't ask for much except not to be tortured on a daily basis. And yeah. even that's too much for them to consider. Um, well, and their loyalty the... to France, this is another thing that goes to the loyalty to France, even as the revolution flip-flops between what, the French Revolution flip-flops between what its goals are, especially after the, the, the Napoleon takes power. Uh, well, I think there's, yeah. there's an argument that goes on between Dessalines and Toussaint yeah. all the way through the book about, you know, what should we be doing? And Toussaint is quite committed because he's like, we need the knowledge of France. We need the, we haven't got those skills. We need them. Whereas Dessalines is saying, we don't need them. We've made everything that's here. We can do it on our own. And in, in the end, Dessalines was right, I believe. And that you cannot trust the colonialists. No. No. You have to view it, though, from... You have to understand how it must have seemed for them. You know, they're not in their home home turf. You know, they've been uprooted and ripped away from, from Africa, you know, dragged across the Middle Passage. You know, there's multiple languages, multiple cultures thrown together. Yeah. You know, they've got no history of living 
in that place and running their own society in any kind of way. And, you know, colonial slave society is so dominated and it's very hard. You know, it's like people today can't imagine a world without capitalism and, you know, all the things we live with. People then couldn't imagine a world without slavery, without racism, without, you know, colonial powers being the educated, you know. What's also interesting is is that, yeah, um, they're not asking for much. But the intransigence of the whites, yeah, people like Boulay, push them, radicalise them, but also what also radicalises them, but we don't really talk about enough in the book, is the is the radicalism from below that was pushing up from well, from the, the experience, yeah, of the, of the of the enslaved you know army and the enslaved masses who were pushing up. You know, we are not going to go back to slavery, no way. Which he understood, yeah, he did, but he grew to understand and, that over yeah. time. And as, you know, those statistics you quoted from the beginning about the 30,000, 30, you know, yeah. whites and half a million slaves, you know, how did they rule for so long? They ruled by fear, you yeah. know, and how did they stop being able to rule? Partly because of that process of people standing up and fighting and going through the revolution is they became confident and they they had confidence in themselves to start fighting back and to to run things themselves, you know, the part of, um, emancipated. yeah, it's Pretty like, the, you know, when you, when you, you know, when you start that process, you transform yourself, yeah. you know, mm. and we tried to, you know, in our book, you've got images right at the very, you know, front pages and the very end pages. Yes. Where we've tried to show a sense of the transformation of the ordinary people, you know, from the kind of brutalized, Yes. You know, um, enslaved through to citizens, um, yeah. that they become at, at, at the end where they're, you know, they're able to have families and a life in <laughs> and their guns <laughs> and the guns. Yes. They're allowed uh, to have guns quickly. We are winding down here. What about the sourcing of the visuals? You're, I mean, is this drawn in pencil? What, 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 what did you use? Uh, this is drawing Biro. And what is, what is Biro? I'm, I'm, I'm like not a, familiar. What? Would you call it a ballpoint pen? A big. Is it really? Yeah. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> these are really good because they're, um. They're How do you make corrections? <laughs> uh, very yeah, difficult. Great difficulty. <laughs> We, so Nick drew everything in pencil first. There's okay. pencil roughs. So it it looks artwork. like pencil when you look at the book. It seems as though it's in pencil, but it's not. Yeah. It's no, ballpoint pen. The um the corrections are sometimes done with copy fluid, sometimes done with a scalpel and cutting. <laughs> and cutting. Sometimes involves starting again, but because everything's drawn in pencil first, it's then light box with biro. Yeah. There's still obviously a huge amount of drawing, but if you compare them to the it's interesting you say they look like pencils because if you compare them to the pencils, they are quite, quite different. different. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the biro gives a much sort of um, stronger, more finished kind of um, less sketchy look, mm-hmm. um, although keeps that. Nick really wanted a kind of a sense of a kind of rough. He had this image right from the beginning, really. Yeah, the sort of roughness of a colonial space. Compared with the sort of the, the Paris and shiny floors and oh, yeah, but you, yeah. I mean, you you go from one set to the other from the grandeur of, of I guess 
what's that, Versailles or whatever? I don't, I don't know what the French... It's the Tuileries in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Burned down the, during the, the next French Revolution. Even the forests, uh, the, the plantation. How did you source some of the scenes that you draw? And, of course, the battle scenes. The horrific battle scenes. You you even bring now you bring those to life too. I mean, um, it's, a, it's just a lot of research, a lot of reading around Haiti, around the French Revolution, around the American Revolution, around the sugar industry, uh, around mm-hmm. other rebellions. You know, because of course Haiti did not stand alone. Haiti was part of the arc of revolts that was happening throughout the Americas, and then you know went on to inspire you know Nat Turner yeah. and lots of other revolts you know it was a lot of research into flora and fauna and maps and you know a huge hmm. amount of visual research huge amount of visual research a lot of the time when we were working on this book i was working full time Mm. i'm in a theater job so nick did a lot more of that side of it than me i mean he did i mean just this this spread of um Mm. the paris you know, the Paris skyline at the time. I don't know how long Nick spent working on this, but it was an incredibly long time finding every bit of reference he could find of what and hey, sort of finding things. Can you page up again? But, but, but finding... don't cover your face up. Don't cover your face oh. up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that, that's good. Just, yeah, fabulous. Just like that. But yeah, that page. Okay. You know, Nick would find, you know, a, a depiction of Paris from say maybe 15 years later hmm. and he'd go, okay, well, I know that building wasn't built and that building wasn't built, but I would imagine most of it was the same and sort of having to, and then something from 10 years earlier and kind of trying to piece. Yeah, we've we basically created a picture no. of Paris in 1801, <laughs> literally to the month. Well, you were reading, talking about the battle scenes, you were reading books about battle formations and things from the period, weren't you? There's a lot of looking into, like, Napoleonic battle techniques and stuff like that. His ability to to out-strategize the great military powers of the period. Well, he read read, um, Caesar's commentaries, Mm. uh, which I guess, like, gave him a good advantage about beating the French. Yeah. um, um, but yeah, he, was a huge amount of creativity, wasn't it? Knowing the terrain and using things to their advantage. Like, the, the, the enslaved army had massive advantages. They had demographic advantages. They had land knowledge um, advantages. Um, for you, then they did things like march an army three times around a mountain. They would so do they got bigger than. They would do stuff like that. They would harass and do fake attacks. Oh, all the way through a night on on a you know a, mili- a colonial military outpost, and then attack them in the morning. So then they were totally exhausted. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of one of the things you do throughout the book on some of the pages are there are uh, are these mosquitoes? Ah, <laughs> the mosquitoes are very interesting because one of the the big. Um, because this was such a military uh, failure and defeat for the colonials, one of the big excuses is also, oh, we all died of yellow fever. But what, what they don't say is, is that basically the um, the revolutionary army, the Haitian revolutionary army, used mosquitoes as a method of chemical warfare. They kept um, the colonial armies in swampy areas by the sea during mosquito season and 
they just died. Like two thirds of the troops died. And, um, yeah, it's a fantastic example of like creative thinking and working with the land and, but also just really early on like you decided you wanted to kind of create this sense that the sort of the white colonial characters seemed uncomfortable and out of place in their surroundings Hmm. so they always got mosquitoes buzzing around them and there's always sort of beads of sweat dripping off them and Hmm. just this sense of their discomfort in their place um which i think is really kind of yeah it's just a really strong image. And then we have, then we have mosquitoes on the blank pages between. And then we end up, yeah, putting them on yeah. the blank pages and kind of they became a real sort of motif, I guess. And I think in some places, Nick's used them really cr- cleverly to create almost like a sense of pace. Yes. Um, and I also, I think this from Black Jacobins also, uh, from the, from that, I recall that this was a, an emphasis I think that James made in that book of the yeah, the, the, the thing about the mosquitoes is there was a previous uprising by a guy called Mackinac in Haiti. And when he was, um, when he was, he was the leader, he was the leader of it. When he was captured and, and burned at the stake, um, the, the crowds who were forced to watch him swore blinds that he, um, transformed into a swarm of mosquitoes and flew into the air. And it's such an amazing, um, visual kind of metaphor of of revolt and and also you know yeah the 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 thousands of you know of leaders and thousands of you know and and i think that as well was something that nick was really inspired by reading it really early on and wanted to kind of bring in this sort of almost spiritual role of the mosquitoes or something Mm, you know and, and a link to historical struggles as well you know that this isn't something that stands alone it's yeah it's part of a long trajectory really of of struggle yeah which still continues to this day you know that's the thing is mm. this story is part of a struggle that we're all hopefully involved in <laughs> <laughs> um in fighting for you know justice in one way or another um, so our time is getting short. Uh, uh, you know, for, for those who don't know, of course, I mean, uh, Toussaint's great triumph is mitigated by his, his betrayal. Um, you know, uh, later, you know, in the book, though his death actually inspires, I guess, the continued and what I think this, Desalene said it would sweep the whites into the sea and, that seems to be pretty much what happened. I mean, now that the book is out, uh, what what has the reception been? Is, is it is it out? I mean, it was published here in October. Um, is it available in in uh, you're in the UK now, right? Of course. Yeah, we're in, we're in the UK. It came out in the UK the same tenth um, mm-hmm. of October. Um, so yeah, I mean, I suppose we're still kind of gauging the the response really. Mm-hmm. In that it seems a little in some ways too early to get mm, sure. you know i mean we've been doing quite a lot of um sorry <coughs> we've been doing quite a lot of kind of book events you know bookshops and universities and things like that and we've generally had you know a really amazing mm-hmm. response um so yeah we just kind of can hope that continues it's in really it's in short. You know? and we've got we've had no negative feedback which is a great bonus. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it almost feels like too early to tell about sure. how it's going. Um, 
And I think, you know, a lot of the talks that we've done, the, we've people have bought the book at the end of it. You know, they've not come to the talk having already read it. You know, we're still at that stage, really, I think, where most people we're talking to haven't read it yet. You know, so it's kind of waiting on that yes. in well, some ways. Um, I, 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 as we wind down here, uh, I, I, I'm just going to congratulate you again. Uh, is there anything else, would, anything you'd like our readers to know? Uh, did, would you, will, you, will you come to the States at any, any point, you think? Would you like I mean, to? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the moment, it's, there's nothing concretely planned. We've had, you know, a few discussions with, I guess, people more at, at sort of, you know, universities and things about the possibility of events. But mm. I think probably most likely at the moment, you know virtual events on zoom or whatever at the moment but it would be great you know if we could organize a whole series of events at the same time to come over potentially for next year yes all right we'll see we'd love to come to the states and talk to people about it it would be um be phenomenal but i think a lot of what what now the book has to stand up on its own two feet and um do its job you know with, hopefully, hopefully people pick it up and will will be interested and inspired by it that's what we want that's what james wanted you know james wrote the black jacobins to inspire people to to revolution and you know and it, you know in a way that's what we want we want to inspire people and we want to tell people you know if these people can do this if they can change if they can change their society well we can change our society too you know there is no there's nothing to stop us you yeah. know well, I, I think that that's the, I think that's the perfect spot, spot to end this because it's, <laughs> it, it, it truly is an inspirational work, uh, inspirational for its, its message of social justice. Uh, but it's as revolutionary, I think, uh, for the medium that you're working in. Uh, it, it really shows what comics, uh, can do, uh, uh, how this force can be entertaining, informative. I mean, you've created, uh, and I'll say it again, uh, really a masterwork in turning this that's this play into this incredible uh uh comics document. So thank you. Uh thank you. Thank you. It inspired me. And uh uh and hopefully our little talk here will 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 send pe- more people to the book. Yeah, I hope so. I hope everyone has the same uh response as you. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much. We've been talking with uh, uh Sakina Karimje and Nick Watts, the co-authors of Tucson Lubachur, uh, the story of the only successful slave revolt in history, uh, the, a play originally written by the great CLR James. Go out and buy a copy now, uh, and, and, and then you can thank me for, after you buy it. <laughs> uh, and Nick and Sakina, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank, thank you. you.